Please take a seat. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that, as we've just sung, if we're in Christ, we can live with no guilt in life and no fear in death because of all that he has done for us. The light of the world by darkness slain. And then he burst forth in glorious day up from the grave. He rose again. Father, as we consider these things now, we pray that you would help me and help us all as we consider what Christ has done for us and what it means for us to live in him now and forevermore. We ask it all in his name. Amen. Well, if you could please keep your Bible open at that section of Ecclesiastes we read earlier on, that would be great. Thank you. And we're heaven through to verse 8 of chapter 12. And here we are at the 1st of September, all of a sudden. Summer has been and gone in a flash, hasn't it? And we've arrived at that time of year when sunny days are becoming few and far between. Not that we've had that many over the, the summer. And today's doing all right so far, isn't it? But slowly but surely, the autumn is coming and the nights are drawing in. There's less and less daylight each day and the autumn is approaching. And you probably noticed when we read these verses earlier on that in this passage, the teacher makes a lot of use of this imagery of light and darkness, of the sun shining for at least a little while before darkness then inevitably descends. And he's using light and darkness, you see, as symbols here. We'll see that light in this section is a symbol of youthfulness. And then darkness is correspondingly a symbol of old age and eventually death itself. And he's saying to us, this is another aspect of what life is like here on earth in this fallen creation. We live in a world where sunlight eventually gives way to darkness. And a world where youthfulness eventually gives way to old age and ultimately to death itself. So how should we live in a world that is like this? And the teacher has got two very simple commands for us to follow as we consider these things. They are rejoice and remember. Rejoice and remember. So let's look at them one by one. First of all, rejoice in the light of youth given by your creator. Rejoice in the light of youth given by your creator. And he begins by inviting us to consider the the beauty of a summer's day. He says, verse 7, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. And he's right, isn't he? There's nothing quite like a bright, sunny day. Does your heart good, doesn't it, to see the sunshine? You get up in the morning and you draw back the curtain. And the sun is beating down. And immediately you feel good about this day that is ahead. Everything looks at its best in the sunlight. And so what do you do? 
Well, the best thing to do is to make the most of it. You know that it's not always going to be sunny. In a few hours, that sun is going to set. It's going to be dark once again. And then maybe tomorrow is going to be overcast. Maybe tomorrow is going to be rainy. And then give it a, a few more weeks and the autumn will well and truly be here. Then the winter will come and you might go for days and days without ever seeing the sun. And so the best thing to do on a sunny day is to make the most of it. We have that saying, don't we? Make hay whilst the sun shines. Uh, get things done that you can get done in the sunshine. Go out and enjoy it as much as you possibly can. Go out into the garden or go for a walk or lie in the sunshine sunbathing or go and have a day at the beach. Don't just sit inside staring at a screen all day. Get out into the sun. Make the most of it. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. And remember the teacher is using sunlight here as a symbol of something else. And it's a symbol of youthfulness. And youthfulness in this passage is a fairly elastic term. It doesn't just mean those who are 35 and a half or younger than that. He's talking about anybody who has the ability to get out and enjoy life to the full. And you see, the teacher is saying there is a period of your life which, if you like, could be described as your sunshine years. You feel good. You're fit and you're healthy. You're in possession of all of your faculties. There are so many experiences on offer to you, so many opportunities before you. The world is your oyster. And you understand, don't you, that those sunshine years will not last forever. Just as a sunny day ends with nightfall, just as summer seeps into autumn and then into winter, your sunshine years are not here forever. And so what's the best thing to do in those sunshine years? Well, make the most of them. That's what the teacher's telling us here, isn't it? In verse 8. So, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. These sunshine years, they, they come and go so quickly. You can't hold on to them forever. That's what he means by that word vanity, as we've seen throughout the book. It means something that you just can't hold on to, even though it's enjoyable, even though it's a good thing. Even though it's something you want to hold on to, it's something that passes you by quickly and you can't hold on to it for long. And so rejoice in these sunshine years for as long as you have them. He continues, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. David Gibson, in his commentary, writes, To every person with the capacity to do so, in these words of the teacher, God says, rejoice, be happy, find joy in the days when we can be physically, mentally, and relationally active. God commands us, follow the ways of your heart, and whatever your eyes see. 
For one day the capacity, ability and desire to do so will all cease. Now of course the teacher is not saying that we can go and do just whatever we want. We're not to misunderstand this as a license to go and find pleasure in enjoying sinful things. The end of verse 9 makes that clear, doesn't it? But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. He's reminding us we, we are still accountable to God. God who is our creator and our lawgiver and our judge. We're accountable to him for how we live our lives. And yet be that as it may, the teacher wants us to realize that it is God's will for us to enjoy and to make the most of the creation in which God has placed us. And to do so for as long as we're able to do so. Again, another commentator has written, human beings are supposed to enjoy life to the full because that is their divinely assigned portion. And God calls one into account for failure to enjoy. Enjoyment is not only permitted, it is commanded. It is not only an opportunity, it is a divine imperative. It is a wonderful thing to consider, isn't it? God commands you to enjoy things. This God is not there to spoil our fun. This God, rather, has placed us in this creation filled with things to enjoy. And he wants us to enjoy them because they're gifts from him. When you give someone a gift, you want them to enjoy it, don't you? God has given us many gifts in this creation and he wants us to enjoy them. Paul says to Timothy, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy your life, enjoy the world in which he has placed you. And it is what the teacher has been telling us throughout this book, isn't it? You might remember some of the earlier passages where we've touched on this theme. Uh, for example, chapter 5, verse 18 and following. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. And again in chapter 9, verses 7 and following. Go, eat your bread in joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. I wonder how you're going to obey this command of God to rejoice in the light of youth given by your creator. How are you going to make the most of whatever youthfulness you've got left by enjoying the things that God has provided for our enjoyment? Maybe you'll go on a, a trip somewhere beautiful that you've never seen before. Maybe you'll go to a, a nice restaurant and you'll sample cuisine that you've never tasted before. Maybe you'll learn to play a musical instrument. Maybe you'll run a marathon. Maybe you'll organize a long overdue get-together with distant friends or extended family. Maybe you'll spend an afternoon at an art gallery or an evening at the theater. And it is entirely up to you. The teacher says, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. 
In other words, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? What do you want to see? And whatever it is, this is how to use your sunshine years. Rejoice in the light of youth given by your creator. And remember, this is only one side of the coin, isn't it? So far, we've only looked at the light, not the darkness. And of course, those sunshine years, when we're able to do these things and enjoy these things as gifts from God, they don't last forever. And so let's listen now to the second command that the teacher has for us this morning. And it's this. Remember that darkness is coming, brought about by the fall. Remember that darkness is coming, brought about by the fall. So again, if the light is a symbol of youthfulness and all of its possibilities and all of its opportunities, darkness in this passage refers to the struggles of old age, when we can no longer do all of those things that we used to do. And eventually, of course, darkness here is a picture of death itself. And so the teacher says at the start of chapter 12, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And in these opening verses of uh, chapter 12, the teacher is going to describe to us in very rich, very vivid, poetic language, uh, the process of growing old. And eventually dying. And as we'll see, he's going to do so in such a way that it keeps on pointing us back time and again to the first three chapters of the Bible. So notice how in verse 1 he refers to God not just as God, but as your creator. He's reminding us, isn't he, of Genesis 1 and 2. God is our creator. We need to remember that God is the one who made us. He's the one who rules over us. He rules over every single day of our lives. And then in verse 2, the teacher mentions the sun and the light and the moon and the stars. And of course, that should make you think of the Genesis account of creation again, shouldn't it? How in Genesis chapter 1, God made all of these things. And yet there is a twist in the the tale of verse 2, isn't there? Because in Genesis, of course, God made all of these things to shine, to give light And yet here they are all becoming darkened. Do you notice that? Uh, One commentator says it is like creation is being unmade in a certain sense. He's saying that the world is no longer how God originally made it. He didn't make it with the decline into old age. He didn't make it with death. But these things have entered into the creation and in that sense they have in a way unmade the creation to a certain extent. It has fallen. The darkness of gradual decline into old age and then eventual death have entered into the world. It is not how it was first made. And what's tragic here is that there is no reversal of these things. Do you notice that as well? The sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. And normally you expect the sunshine to come after the rain. But here, after the rain comes just more clouds. And you see, it's a way of saying there is no let up to growing old. 
when you get to old age, the sunshine years are gone. And that darkness doesn't lift. And to put it very bluntly, you get to the point, don't you, when you realize that you're never going to get better. It's a reality that we contend with in old age. Uh, Derek Kidner writes, All this will come at a stage when there is no longer the resilience of youth or the prospect of recovery to offset it. In one's early years, and for the greater part of life, troubles and illnesses are chiefly setbacks, not disasters. One expects the sky to clear eventually. It is hard to adjust to the closing of that long chapter, to know that now, in the final stretch, there will be no improvement. The clouds will always gather again, and time will no longer heal, but kill. It's a picture, isn't it, of facing the reality of old age. And then verses 3 and 4, they give us another picture of growing old. It's a picture of a grand house, a, a stately home with lots of servants working there. Think Downton Abbey or, or that kind of thing. And in your prime, your body is like that, like that grand stately home with all of those servants. It's a, a glorious thing able to function in so many different ways so much activity so much going for it and then over time that grand house falls on hard times and the activity there grinds to a halt and things start to fall into disrepair and one by one the different faculties cease to function look at how the teacher describes an elderly person's body being a bit like a fine stately home which then falls onto hard times. He says the keepers of the house, that is the hands I think he means here, the keepers of the house tremble. And the strong men, I think that refers to the fingers, the strong men are bent, the fingers become bent and the hands tremble. And the grinders, the, the teeth, cease because they are few. In other words, you, you've lost a lot of your teeth, you, you can't chew things like you used one, once used to. Uh, he continues, those who look through the windows, that is the, the eyes, are dimmed. Uh, the doors on the street, the ears, are shut. You, you lose your sight, you, you begin to go deaf. These are the, the things we contend with in old age. And then verse 5 gives us a, a variety of different images and descriptions of what old age is like. He says, first of all, they are afraid also of what is high. In other words, you're, you're constantly afraid of falling over when you get to be very old. Uh, you're scared of what is high. You, you don't want to go upstairs anymore because you know that it's very likely that you could fall if you try and climb the stairs. And then he says, terrors are in the way, literally in, in the road. He's saying when you get old, you, you start to get more and more concerned about going out during the day because... There's all the hustle and bustle in the street and you know that it's dangerous for you to be there. You might get knocked over, so you, you stay inside as much as you possibly can. And then next, the almond tree blossoms. Almond trees have got white blossom. It's a picture, isn't it, of, of your hair going white. The almond tree is blossoming. The grasshopper drags itself along. Now, grasshoppers are, are sprightly little things, aren't they? Uh, they can jump huge distances relative to their size. 
And it's hard even for us to imagine a grasshopper dragging itself along, weighed down. And you see, the point is, when you're young and you can run and you can jump all day long, it's very hard for you to imagine that you will ever have to drag yourself along with a, 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 a Zimmer frame. But if you live long enough, of course, it will happen. You might feel as sprightly as a grasshopper now, and yet one day even you will drag yourself along. Then he says, desire fails. Literally in the original, it says the, the caper berry fails. Uh, the caper berry in those days was considered to be an aphrodisiac. You get them in tartar sauce before anyone asks. And what he's saying here is that for this old man, it's as if the, the caper berry has failed. Well, those desires he had as a young man, they've now dwindled away. And then, of course, in the end, old age results in death. Verses 6 and 7 describe to us what it's like to die. Firstly, in verse 6, death is described like a, a precious vessel that is broken into pieces, maybe a golden bowl that is shattered, and all the contents spill away. Death is like that. The vessel of the body, precious though it is, is broken at last. The spirit that it contained, as it were, spills out, and it returns to the God who gave it. And the sun sets on your life. The darkness is then complete. And verse 7 once again points us back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 and the account of creation. Because we're told that the, death, the dust returns to the earth as it was. And in those words, the, the teacher is reminding us of where death comes from ultimately. He's saying the darkness of death comes from the fall of mankind into sin and the subsequent curse of God that is declared in Genesis chapter 3. You are dust and to dust you shall return. And the teacher is saying to us in these verses, remember that darkness, that darkness of old age and death, remember that it's coming to you. And remember where it all came from originally. Remember that it was all brought about by the fall. And it's not nice to think about growing old and dying, particularly if you're young and you're healthy. It's the kind of thing we want to avoid thinking about, isn't it? We want to keep it out of our mind. And yet it is a reality we need to face up to. And the teacher urges us here, remember your creator, even in the days of your youth. Yes, on the one hand, rejoice in the, the light of youth given by your creator. Enjoy your life. Enjoy what God has given us to enjoy. Make the most of it while you can. And as well as that, remember that darkness is coming. You'll grow old. Eventually you'll die. And know that this sad state of affairs was all brought about by the fall. And as we close, we should ask then, what is the answer then to, to all of this ultimately? Is there any escape from that darkness that was brought about by the fall? And the answer is that yes, there is an answer to it. And as we, as we zoom out from these verses and we look at what the whole Bible has to say, we see that though the first Adam sinned and fell and brought the darkness of death 
into the world. There is also a second Adam who was tempted just as the first Adam was and just like we are. And yet the second Adam never fell into sin. And as well as that, the second Adam, who is, of course, Jesus Christ, would take upon himself the full curse that our sin deserves. And he went into the darkness for us, literally and metaphorically. Remember how as he he hung on the cross, the sunshine disappeared. Darkness descended upon him for three hours. We sang earlier on, didn't we, those words, light of the world by darkness slain. He experienced death itself under the curse of God. And then he went into the darkness of the tomb for three days. And then on the third day, as the sun rose again, so did he. Again, we we sang those words, didn't we? Bursting forth in glorious day. Raised as the firstborn from the dead. Stepped out of the darkness of the tomb into the sunlight once again. The sunlight of that first Easter morning. And by doing that, he inaugurated a new creation. That is a creation that is set free from the darkness of sin and death. And if you're a Christian this morning, it is because God has called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Paul says that the God who at creation said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And even now, John says, the light is shining in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And you know, for these next few years, tops, we will still live in this old creation, this old creation where sunlight gives way to darkness and where youthfulness gives way to old age and eventually to death. But rest assured that in the end, we ourselves will be raised from the dead and we will live in a new creation where death will be no more. And there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain anymore for the former things have passed away, done away with as belonging to the old creation. And when we get there to that new creation, we will live in a city that has no need of sun or moon to shine upon it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb Jesus and by his light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into that new Jerusalem and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there the light triumphs over the darkness Let's pray together. Our Father, we remember that you are our creator. You're the God who has made all things. You made us. You made this wonderful world in which we live. You gave us everything to enjoy. And as well as this, you give us the ability to enjoy these things. In fact, you even command us to enjoy these things. And so for as long as we're able 
of doing so. Help us to live our lives enjoying the creation in which you have placed us. Help us to rejoice in the light of youth given by our creator. And at the same time, help us to remember that in this fallen world, darkness comes inevitably. It comes in the form of old age and it struggles. It comes in the form of death eventually. And so help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus who took that darkness upon himself, suffering the curse and dying the death that we deserve before bursting forth in glorious day as the firstborn of a new creation. And we thank you that as Christian people we've been called out of darkness and we've been called into his glorious light. And the light is shining in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And we look ahead to the day when we will be with Christ in the new creation, a world with no death and a world with no darkness because the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is Jesus himself. In his glorious name, we pray these things. Amen.